Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Given our binary gender system, you know, if we just assume that there's only, you know, male and female, which is already problematic, but if we just take that as a granted for most of the population, everything you do says one of two things. For someone like me as a trans woman, I am either a kind of woman or I am a kind of man. Hey everyone, and welcome to a mini episode of Represent, and I'm your host, Aisha Harris. So recently, it was announced that Magic Mike star Matt Bomer has been cast in the role of a transgender sex worker in the upcoming film Anything, which is being co-produced by his co-star from the HBO TV drama The Normal Heart, Mark Ruffalo. Understandably, the casting choice was met with disappointment from those who take issue with cisgender actors, like Bomer, playing trans characters in a world where so few opportunities exist for trans actors to begin with. One of the most prominent voices from the trans community to speak out against the news has been Emmy-nominated writer and actress Jen Richards, who actually auditioned for Bomer's role. I'm very pleased to have her joining me via Skype from California to talk about this issue and how we can address it head on. Hey, Jen. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> so first, I would love you if you could expand a bit on what the film and the role entails based on your experience of auditioning for the role. Sure. Yeah, there's something I need to clarify right away, and it's been a common misconception. I never auditioned for that part that, oh. that Matt actually has. Uh, I never said I did either. I just said I auditioned for the movie, mm. but it was a much smaller part. My understanding from the casting director, whom I spoke with uh, during the audition and callback, was that Matt had been precast in the lead role and that his participation was part of how the movie got greenlit and funded in the first place. Got it. In addition to his part, which is a trans sex worker who befriends this uh, widow who has moved to L.A. from Mississippi, there were at least three other smaller parts for trans women. I had auditioned and been called back in for a waitress who has two short scenes with the lead characters. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, as far as I know, no trans woman was even considered for the lead role. 
Interesting. And do you know if they were specifically like when you read the when you read for the part, do you know if the the smaller roles were specifically were they seeking out trans actors and actresses or? Yes, they were that in the script, it was explicit that the character was trans. It was a trans woman and it was clearly part of the kind of backstory of some of the other characters and the other, most of the other actresses that were going out for the part were, were also trans women. Interestingly enough, the part ended up going to someone who does not identify as a trans woman, even in this smaller part. Mm. And that I suspect, but don't know, I I haven't talked to the filmmakers since the the callback, is for an issue that's kind of particular to trans women like me, and that we often lose roles that are specific for trans women because we don't look trans enough, according to (laughs) casting directors. Wow. Basically, what I I suspect happened, and again, this is me speculating, is that the filmmakers wanted this character to be trans because it's part of the backstory. But in their short scenes, there's nothing specific in the lines to indicate that that character is trans. So the director, the, the producers are hoping that the audience will read them as trans based on their visual appearance. And this is for the smaller parts or for Matt? This is for the smaller part. Got this it. Is for the smaller part. Okay. Uh, so if they want the audience to know those characters are trans because it's important to the story, but it's not obvious to a general audience that someone like me is trans, then they get stuck in this position where they have to cast a man Mm. and then dress them as a woman so that the audience will read them as a trans woman. So it's this kind of weird irony that leaves actual trans actresses completely, you know, out of this scenario. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. And we don't always want to make try and make direct comparisons to uh, things having to do with gender issues and race and and, and sexuality sure. issues, but there I've there have been many people who are of mixed race who have talked about that same kind of thing where they're they're told you know I don't look black enough for this role, and then other roles I look not not white enough, right? I look too other, and it's just I wish casting directors were just a little more adventurous in their in their thinking or open-minded about it and i don't even know like what does not trans like does not trans enough mean at least the way you interpret it for a, a trans woman does that mean you don't look enough like a woman or don't look enough like your transition like what does that mean exactly it, mean, it means that when i'm just moving around in public no one knows i'm trans the okay. people i meet on a daily basis in the street just just see a woman mm-hmm. and that's the case for most of the other trans actresses i know no one knows that we're trans unless we say so. Right. So if if the director wants it to be a trans character and they're not super explicit in the script about it, then they rely on the audience perceiving the character as trans. So therefore, trans actresses who just look like any other woman yeah. get taken out of this scenario. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this, this is an irony, and it's been going on for, for a long time. I had a really interesting eye-opening history lesson recently when I found out that uh, there was a movie called Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, yeah. With Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. That was based on a true story about a man who committed a bank robbery in order to fund his girlfriend's surgery, her sex reassignment surgery. Right. And at that time, when they were making the movie, there was a trans actress who was being considered for the part named Elizabeth Coffey, who was told that she looked too female to get the part. In other words, she didn't look trans enough. Mm. So the part instead went to Chris Sarandon, uh, it was his first movie, and he got an Oscar nomination for it. 
This was 40 years ago. So for 40 years now, at least, directors have been casting men to play trans women because actual trans women don't fit what they think a trans woman looks like. And the irony is that this trend continues because when we think of trans women today, we think of Jared Leto and Jeffrey Tambor and Eddie Redmayne and Matt Bomer, uh, Chris Randon, Tom Wilkinson, John Lithgow, and all of the other dozens of, of men who have been awarded for playing trans women. And one of the things that struck me most about your series of tweets that you released in the in the aftermath of the announcement was that you didn't just talk about it from the perspective of we need more representation, we need to like trans actors and actresses deserve to play these roles themselves. But you also talk about how it can lead to violence because putting a always thinking that a male cisgender actor can play a trans character makes people who are not as open or self-aware think that being trans is just, oh, you're, you're, if you're a trans woman, it's just, oh, I'm a man who's putting on a dress. That's and you exactly. talk about that violence. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah. And because I want to be clear again, too, because people will say, oh, it's just acting and, and all these kinds of, of, of retorts. I, you know, I, I'm an actress. I'm a writer. I'm a producer. I want artistic freedom for everybody. I want everyone's stories to get told. I want us all to have freedom to try out different things. I don't, like more like like fundamentally opposed i will never say like no cis actor can ever play trans the same way that i wouldn't say you know gay actors can only play gay characters mm-hmm. it's not a matter of that i do think that politically it's important to hire marginalized uh, communities and populations so that they can you know create an entry point in the community and i think aesthetically when you have people from a community you're representing it makes the art better so i think there are good reasons to do it but my only real objection to the specific issue of casting a cis man to play a trans woman is that, yes, I think it results in violence. And the way I think about it is this, given our binary gender system, you know, if we just assume that there's only, you know, male and female, which is already problematic, but (laughs) if we just take that as a granted for most of the population, everything you do says one of two things. For someone like me as a trans woman, I am either a kind of woman or I am a kind of man. And everything, everything related to trans legislation or, or trans activism kind of lines up in one of those two camps. So, for instance, something like HB2 uh, in North Carolina, the bill that says that I'm supposed to use a men's room, that's because they see trans women as a kind of man, that therefore I belong in a men's room. Mm-hmm. If something like Trans America that Felicity Huffman played a trans woman in, that casting is basic. by having Felicity Huffman play the trans woman, you're kind of saying a trans woman is a kind of woman. When Matt Bomer, when Eddie Redmayne, when Jared Leto, when all of these other men take a role to play a trans woman, they are in the side of HB2. They're in the side of every anti-trans discrimination. Mm-hmm. They're on the side of, of every man who harasses us, attacks us, or discriminates discriminates against us because they are saying that trans women are ultimately a type of man. And that's my real issue. Yeah. And the reason I got so passionate about this and why I, I maybe did get a little bit hyperbolic is because trans women are dying and they've been dying for years and the rates aren't going down. The, the, the murders aren't stopping. It's systemic oppression across the board. I mean, it's, it's unemployment, it's housing, it's ousted from spiritual communities, from schools, you know, it's, it's rates of HIV and addiction and suicide and yes, actual abject violence. So at least 19 trans women have been murdered this year 
And they're women who are already on the margins. It's almost exclusively uh, young black and Latina trans women who are often engaged in sex work in order to survive. Mm -hmm. And they are killed by men who are already intimate with them and then are afraid that being with a trans woman somehow impugns their masculinity or questions their sexuality. And these are straight men who don't want that. You know, it's not about... Uh, them being closeted gay. It's it's about a, like a kind of deeper root of homophobia because they're actually straight men who are attracted to trans women. And uh, part of the reason that they're afraid of that is because other people will always say, well, if you're, if, if you're a man with a trans woman, you're really gay or you're secretly gay. You're somehow less masculine. Mm. And they end up reasserting that masculinity through violence aimed at trans women. And that's why I say that when we see Jared Leto accepting, you know, an Oscar with a full beard, it's sending out a very loud message to the world that underneath it all, trans women are just men with good makeup. And that ends up resulting in violence against us. And that's ultimately what this issue is really about. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't think that your your statements on Twitter were hyperbolic. I feel like, Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I completely agree that for many trans women and trans men, but especially trans women, there is there is this danger and there is, it, it is a matter of life and death. Well, like you said, like we want to be kind of careful when we make comparisons across different, uh, you know, axes of intersectionality. But I think there is a legitimate comparison in terms of, of, of black men in this country being victims of violence in part because uh, they are often portrayed as aggressive. They are so often portrayed as violent right. that many of us in the population have internalized the idea of a, of a black man being aggressive and violent mm-hmm. through an endless loop of you know of news coverage and TV depictions and movie depictions that don't actually align uh, align neatly with the actual statistics and data, but cause us to internalize this image that that black men are more violent, which then results in more violence against them because we go into this kind of defensive you know posture or an aggressive one because of that. Right. So I think this happens a, a lot of times. Same thing with, you know, sexuality and with women. Um, if, you know, they're, they're often portrayed as being like hypersexual or kind of like dehumanized, it becomes easier to enact those actual behaviors in real life. Mm. And I want to go back a little bit to the subject of Eddie Redmayne, because his role in The Danish Girl, I feel, sort of falls in this weird blurry line because he's playing a character. He played uh, a real life uh, woman who was who's one of the first or one of the first known gender reassignment people to go under gender reassignment yes. surgery, and that role a lot of it is him most of it is him being a man wanting to transition to becoming a woman, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are in the casting of him in that role just because he technically is not he. He is a trans person in the in the in the sense that he identifies that way, but in terms of the sort of physical as- aspects, like what do you still feel as though that that could have been easily cast with a trans person and would have been a better representation had it been done? Bottom line, I do, mm-hmm. uh, and I know plenty of trans actresses who would have jumped at the chance to play a role like that and would have been absolutely comfortable with portraying themselves as a boy for a large part of the film. Mm. And it's always been kind of odd to me that we think it's so 
impossible for a trans woman to play themselves pre-transition, yet somehow so easy for a cis man to play themselves post-transition. Right. I mean, to, it's, you know, it's just hair and makeup either side of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's acting on either side of it. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, I think trans women can play that. I, I do think that movie does slightly less damage than something like Dallas Buyers Club or anything. I'd put Danish Girl more in the same camp as Transparent and that these characters are going through transition, so it's a slightly different story. These are also trans women who are in relationships with women, which kind of reduces the stakes a little bit in terms of, of how we think about mm-hmm. the kinds of trans women who most are, who are most at risk and marginalized. You know, they're not sex workers. Uh, you know, they're older, they're artists. Um, so it's, it's a little less uh, damaging. Nonetheless, you know, I actually was a consultant on The Danish Girl. And at my very first meeting with Focus Features, and this was years ago, I told them everything I'd said in the same tweet, that if Eddie does this part, if this movie comes out, the end result will be violence against trans women. And I'm not going to work on this film unless I can say that explicitly to everyone involved, because you need to know the stakes of what you're doing. And how do you, I mean... You, well, to their credit, they yeah. they said, "Okay, absolutely, we we want to know what we're doing." Like, we, you mm-hmm. know, we're 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 a little bit late around this. You know, this movie had started long before this kind of conversation had had become so mainstream. Yeah, uh, but they really cared, and I helped teach Eddie and Tom Hooper, the director, how to talk about trans issues in an appropriate way, and and the public to help mitigate some of that damage. And Focus Features also created a whole scholarship specifically for trans filmmakers as a way to you know kind of offset that damage a little bit. So, yeah, I actually I interviewed Tom Hooper last year about the Danish girl and we talked a bit about that. And he mentioned that when he started the movie, he had always he'd always had Eddie Redmayne in in mind. And I think he sort of anticipated there would be some some pushback. But in the end, he 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 mentioned, you know, that he had actually cast other trans people in smaller parts and, you know, was actively seeking them out to you know, make he, he he basically focused. He said, "My emphasis now is like thinking about employing trans people, but like in this industry." And and I exactly. I, I appreciated that. It was, it was yeah. interesting. And the industry changes slowly. Like I have no illusion. Listen, there isn't a trans actress who is bankable enough to open a film, like a large budget film, or or guarantee a return on investment for a smaller indie film. Right now, Matt Bomer apparently is big enough to do that for an indie film, and there isn't a trans actress. So I understand that argument. I understand that this industry is very much driven by by money. That, to me, just makes it all more important to raise the stakes in this issue and be really clear about the consequences of it. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think any one trans woman's life is worth whatever money is going to be made off of a movie like this. Plus, you know, as we saw with Stonewall, when the community really, you know, stands up and says, no, we're not, a, we're, this isn't okay, the movie fails. <laughs> yeah. That, did, did you see it by any chance? No, I didn't even, like, I could barely stand the trailer. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I saw it. It was, it was pretty pretty terrible (laughs) i i was yeah it was it was not fun and it was not it was not it was not good it just it was a very disappointing movie you know i mean there's the larger issue about this movie anything uh and i'm always really kind of careful to be critical of other people's art i I know how hard it is to get anything made and Mm. just to accomplish anything at all is, is, is is a big deal in this in this town but it's a movie about a straight white man and his emotional his emotional journey and everyone else around him is just supportive of his arc rather than, you know, being grounded in their own. So in that sense, even overall as a movie, it's not something that I think is something that we really need any more of. <laughs> I mean, yeah. do we really need a single more story ever 
about a straight white man's journey to, to self-awakening or realization or whatever kind of improvement he, he needs, particularly through the expense of marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this you're referring to anything, correct? This, yeah, in okay. reference to anything. Got it, got it, yeah. I mean, at least The Danish Girl was about Lily. Right. You know, or at least Transparent is about a trans woman who stays in the family and all that. You know, Matt Bowen's character is, you know, is the kind of pseudo love interest for the straight male lead of, right. of anything. Yeah. And I, I did a little bit of research. I couldn't find too much on it, but it was a play to begin with. It was about nine years ago in L.A. And I know that Mark Ruffalo later tweeted, I think maybe not directly to to you, but he, no, no, he but he voiced out his opinions and or his his thoughts, and he said, you know, I hear you. I I'm glad these conversations are happening. Have you at all thought about talking to him, or or has he reached out per, like privately? And I uh, no, I mean he hasn't reached out to me uh, privately, and I, I certainly wouldn't expect him to. I'm, I'm not I'm not nearly famous enough to justify mm-hmm. that that kind of response. However, um, I actually did have a nice exchange with Matt Bomer privately. Uh, oh. He was a very nice guy, and I just wanted him to know that like I, I didn't bear him any ill will. That I don't feel hostile towards him. Mm-hmm. That I think this is an evolving conversation. I don't have any reason to think that. Mark or Matt were trying to do harm in any way, shape, or form. I think it's genuine ignorance. That doesn't make what they're doing any less damaging. Right. You know, it still needs to be addressed. I'm still going to stick to my guns. But I don't think they're actively trying to hurt trans people. I just think they don't know what they're doing and they need to be educated. And I'm in a position to, to help that conversation move forward. So if Mark is interested, of course, I'd be very, very happy to talk to him. Uh, I... Knowing what I know about the industry, I don't think there's any way to stop a movie from coming out at this point after it's already been shot. There's just too much money involved uh, for people to really care about these kinds of issues to completely stop a movie. So I suspect it's going to come out regardless, but I do think there's still ways to to mitigate some of the damage. You know, either to do a limited release, you know, to talk about it, to at least get Mark and Matt to talk about the film in a certain way, and maybe to do like Focus did and, and like offset this with some kind of funded, you know, scholarship for actual transactions or trans filmmakers or, or something. But most importantly, I just want this to become, you know, a, a teaching moment where ideally this is the last time this happens for a very long time. You know, until we all think of trans women as a type of women, we think of trans men as a type of men, and the kind of systemic oppression and violence has been significantly reduced. Until that happens, I'd like to see no more <laughs> cis men playing trans women. Yeah. Any marginalized group, I think you have to make them, you have to make the not marginalized group aware. And, and it's not always, you know, malice on the part of malice that they are, they are not, they're doing these things that can be harmful. But I completely agree that you have to make them aware. And have you has what has the sort of dialogue been since you got this conversation? I'm sure you're not the only one who voiced your reaction to this. Yeah, of course. I mean, it. I'm not the first person to say this. I'm not the only person to say this. And there's a lot of us who have been saying this. And we've been saying it for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not a new conversation. It's a big conversation that's been happening for a long time. I think that was part of the reason there was a little negative reaction to, to Mark's statement about him getting, you know, it's time to have this conversation. Like, no, honey, it's it's way past time. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation has been going on for decades. Yeah. Uh, no, I've been thrilled. And I, I think, you know, there was dozens of news stories that came out and I had to endure just an avalanche of disgusting hate and things coming at me on, on social media, which is just an unfortunate side effect of, of any kind of visibility, particularly if you're critiquing something. But what's really 
made me happy and feel really satisfied with this is that so many people have written to me to say that this that that this argument changed their mind, that it was something that they either hadn't really thought about or thought you know like everyone should be able to play everyone, and then after hearing my argument, they they, they reconsidered and thought, oh okay, like this is actually not a good thing right now, and mm-hmm. we need to stop this. So that feels really good. The other thing that's really made me happy is that. With each passing day, as it becomes more about the argument and less about me, I see the argument coming up in news articles that don't even mention me. And that's really great because people can dismiss me. They can just say, like, a lot of people think that I went out for Matt Bomer's part, I didn't get it, and I'm just bitter. And so it's sour grapes. Mm -hmm. And even though that has nothing to do with reality, it makes them, uh, it it gives them an excuse to dismiss my argument. Once that argument gets beyond me, with other people just making that argument themselves, and it's out there, then it's harder to dismiss. They have to they have to approach the argument on its own terms. So that makes me really happy to see the conversation moving in that direction. Yeah, that's great. And I guess the last question I'd like to ask you is: When was the last time you felt represented on screen or felt seen on screen? I was at Outfest this year, which is Los, Ange- Los Angeles's LGBT film festival. It's a fantastic organization. And I didn't see much scripted media that featured trans people or trans actors or trans perspectives, but I saw a number of really fantastic documentaries that did that not only showed trans people in you know, in a, in a positive light, uh, with, you know, respect and dignity, but also showed a really profound range of trans people from kind of across the spectrum of, of race and age and class and and background. And when I think about all of these documentaries, eventually making out into the public, I, I think anyone who sees any one of these would come out with a much wider expansive view of, of what it means to be trans. So, so that gives me a lot of hope. Um, the other big one, it's not out yet, but uh, CBS has a new legal drama coming out this fall called uh, Doubt. It's actually a mid-season replacement. It'll be out in January. Mm-hmm. And Laverne Cox is one of the leads. So it'll be the first time an, an openly trans actress has had a had a, had a you know a main cast role in a primetime drama. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited by that. And, and I, I was in one episode, and that script and the other scripts I've seen and from what I've heard from Laverne, it's a really, really... An honest, uh, gritty, real, nuanced, but also funny, loving, kind, complicated portrayal of trans people. And I, and I think there's um, a really good explanation as to why, and this is where we see the big difference. The people who create a doubt, the showrunners, have a trans son. And because they have a trans son, because they have a trans relative, they're more informed on trans issues and they wanted to involve trans people. So they have a trans writer in the writer's room. Uh, they, they have a trans lead actress and they've cast at least three other actresses, myself, Angelica Ross and Alexandra Gray and other trans parts on the show. So th- that makes all the difference. When you actually know trans people, when you actually are directly invested in trans issues, you go, f- you go further and you do better. And I think what we're going to see with Doubt is that it actually makes for better art. That's exciting. Yeah, I I've, I've forgotten about that show, but I'm very much looking forward to checking that out. So, I'm Well, and of course, like, I mean, I don't want to, I actually, I do. I totally want to toot my own horn. Obviously, <laughs> uh, I wrote and produced and star in a web series called Her Story, mm-hmm. which was nominated for an Emmy. So I think that's also a really fantastic representation of trans people. It was, it's about trans people. It stars trans people. It was written by a trans person and directed by another trans person. So I, I think it's a very accurate representation as well. 
Awesome. I mean, you got to represent yourself, right? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, everyone should go check it out. And thank you so much, Jen, for stopping yeah, by. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I would love to have you on for an even longer conversation in the, in the future. That would be wonderful. I'd love it. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Berlin Williams. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is Chief Content Officer of Panoply. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. Music is performed by the awesome San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. Until next time. 